Are you concerned about hitting your revenue targets this month, quarter, or year? Your answer is Value Prime Solutions, a sales training and marketing optimization company leveraging the value selling framework. Visit www.valueprimesolutions.com and start accelerating your results. You're listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience, a podcast dedicated to helping executives train their sales and marketing teams to optimize growth. Whether you're looking for techniques and strategies or tools and resources, you've come to the right place. Let's accelerate your growth in three, two, one. Welcome, everyone, to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. I'm your host, Chad Sanderson. For those of you that have to jump early or aren't able to uh, listen to the entire podcast, it'll be posted at b2brevexec.com. Of course, you can always track it down in iTunes or, or using Stitcher or whatever your uh, favorite podcast player might be. Uh, recommend checking out uh, not only this interview and the related blog post, but also other interviews that we have done. Uh, today with us, we have Mark Shank, who is a principal at KPMG. Uh, he runs our experience design and engineering group. Uh, we've asked him to come on today to talk a little bit about digital transformation, uh, how trends are affecting you know, the consulting practice, what professional services individuals need to do to, to stay ahead of the game and to be kind of top of their field. Um, normally, of course, we want to start with a background question, but I want to change it up a little bit today and, and start by first thanking Mark for taking the time to be here. I understand he's extremely busy, uh, but would like to start with a, a different type of question to try and front load some value for our listeners. So, Mark, when you think back about, you know, kind of the course of your career and you look back at, at those moments, those defining moments that you've experienced to get to this point, what lesson, you know, what was the, the major defining moment and what lesson or insights? did you take away from it? Wow. Defining moment. You know, I don't think that you, that you realize those things at the time. It's only upon reflection, maybe years later, at least that was the case for me. You know, I think defining moment for me was, was kind of a simple one, really. I was sitting in a, in a room full of like-minded software engineers with the, the owner of our small company who still wrote code every day. And, you know, we were doing that by the hour and getting paid for it. And we needed to do recruiting because we had some talented people and uh, customers were asking for more people with, with similar level of talent. And we were all too busy to do recruiting <laughs> and, no, and, and no one wanted to do it. And so I kind of... I mean, nobody stood up and said, hey, let me go find new people. <laughs> Yeah, you know, it's not like we had a great comprehensive recruiting effort, right? I mean, we had some people kind of come in via referral and, and we put up some job ads and things. You know, this was like the age of monster. But but it was really who was going to manage this process, right? Who was going to make sure that they talked to a few, who was going to determine who would be the appropriate people for them to talk to and get them through, shepherd them through the process, answer, answer their questions, right? It, it takes a lot of hours to, you know, get through the axe murder screenings, right? You know, make. <laughs> make sure this person isn't a waste of everyone's time. And, uh, and I was busy like everybody else, but you know, I just kind of, uh, I volunteered to do it. No one else was looking to do it. And I was asked, you know, by our, our president or whatever at the time, he asked me, so why do you want to do this thing nobody else wants to do? And I said, well, I like the idea of having a higher degree of efficacy over, over the group of people that I work with. And then he said, good enough. And kind of ever since that point, as we grew and things changed, I just kind of take, I just 
organically appropriated more and more roles uh, and, and jobs and things to help, you know, run our organization. And I never did it from the perspective of trying to uh, acquire management responsibility. I wasn't doing it from a, from a, wasn't any kind of conscious career move or anything like that. It was just me doing something uh, to help our group. And, you know, I was, and I was good at it, sure. But, you know, I was just, just trying to help the group and just trying to get us to grow and be more successful. So kind of a focus on doing something that, that's going to benefit everybody, not just yourself. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, we were we were a really tight group and it was a lot of fun. It, it was benefiting myself too. I didn't want that to be ruined. I felt like I could help bring in other people that would be just as talented and keep that 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 density of talent uh, the same while also the group was getting bigger that part it scared me that we would lose that with the group as we hired and so i felt more comfortable taking kind of more direct control control of that excellent excellent okay so now let's let's go kind of the standard question how'd you get started in professional services and, and end up at kpmg <laughs> uh, I'm not sure. I mean, got to be a safe for work. Got to be safe for work. <laughs> I never realized I was in professional services until I got to KPMG. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess the time of surgery is pretty questionable. <laughs> this is kind of like the second job I've ever had, right? So, so I, you know, I did my undergrad in computer science, and I wasn't in professional, even though I was, I was hired by a government consulting company that, you know, one that ended up getting acquired by a much larger one. And so uh, they were billing for my time by the hour, but I didn't think of myself that way. I was, I was a software engineer. I talked like an engineer. I walked like an engineer and I worked with engineers and I was very, obviously very junior, 22 year old kid. And so, you know, that, that was my focus. And so I focused on that craft. And even when we went to Synergy, you know, to our detriment, I guess, uh, you know, later on, I remained focused on that craft and in designers and developers. And, and it wasn't really until that we got acquired by KPMG and I came to KPMG that I think I learned what professional services really were. <laughs> so how would you, so, how, all right, so let's go a little further. How would you define that? I mean, you and I've had conversations about this before, about what it takes to really be a truly effective consultant and specialist. But I mean, what have you learned since you got to KPMG to, to help broaden that definition of professional services? So a bunch of different things, kind of hard to think where to start. I think, you know, one of the biggest things that, that, we're, that we're looking at is and this is a change in the marketplace as much as a change in us, at least in the in the quote unquote digital space. Uh, and you know, you know, I don't like that word. But uh, <laughs> the it used to be that you could sell skills, um, and skills kind of sell themselves. Uh, right. And so when someone says, "Hey, I need I need some skills," and you say, "Sure, here are some skills," and they say, "Oh, those look good," and and you keep doing work. In uh, that in that sales model works when there's when those uh, skills are pretty scarce and and when there's you know more demand than supply as things start to equal out and and as they, the market starts to come into equilibrium you really do have to focus more on a solution oriented sale and being able to craft a solution particularly one that that requires multiple kinds of professional services that is presented to a customer back as a as a holistic 
um, solution to a, a high-level problem that they have. You know, I think that that's the mark of a really good professional services organization and, and a really good person who practices professional services that, that they can go in, pull those different things together, adopt the perspective of their customer and present it to them in such a way that they understand how this is going to address their, their high-level problem and then, and then go and actually deliver it. Right. So, I mean, back in the days when we were at Synergy, and for, for those that aren't aware, Synergy was a digital agency. I know you hate that word. <laughs> but Yeah, well, I mean, it, was, it, was, it was appropriate back then. It's, it's it, a little it was, overused now. Right. It was, very, it was very blue ocean, right, back then. Yeah. And I remember getting the phone calls like, hey, I need a designer or I need a developer who specializes in X, right? Uh, and as we saw that market change, it became more of they needed a solution that required uh, multiple types of specialists, right? And that's a little bit of a mental shift. I mean, I think that's kind of what yeah. you're talking about, right? Is that ability to see it in a more holistic way and put the pieces yeah. of the puzzle together. Yeah, it was it was even a little more insidious than than that. I think, you know, we could pick those out pretty well because even when we were selling just skills, we realized if we're just selling a designer, just selling a dev, that we would, you know, that that then we're in a rate battle, right? And so even when we kind of position to them that, hey, let us build this software product for you. And even when we got to the point that we could get out in the field and do customer research and show them, okay, here's your journey map, here are your personas and your segmentation and behavior change framework and all these other things, there was still so much of that that we missed. And there was still so much of our success was predicated on the ability of the client to actually manage and deliver. And so even when we would go in there and build a software product for them, if if it went down burning flames, it wasn't because we were it, it wasn't because we were bad. And it, and when we had great successes, it wasn't because we were uniquely amazing. It was really kind of dependent on the customer's ability to manage a uh, software development lifecycle and to actually, you know, to really own all those parts of that. And so when we were most successful and, you know, kind of, you know, going back in those early days, it was really when we were working with other software companies. We were, we were working with mid-level execs that understood the software development process and they understood so many of those concepts. And we really struggled when we worked with, you know, startups or or lines of business that were trying to circumvent IT and didn't have any kind of concept or infrastructure ability to, they didn't understand the assumptions. They didn't understand the risks. We weren't as good at managing them. Whereas like now um, at KPMG in a large organization, we have the ability to bring enough services to the table to kind of mitigate the whole thing. And, you know, we're, we're large enough and, and we were successful enough that I don't feel the pressure that I felt at a small organization to, to take risks, right? You know, I, I can walk away from a deal. I can, I can say, look, this is what it's going to really take. Yeah, your boutique vendor may be telling you they can do it for 20% of the cost, but they're ignoring all these other things and you don't have the ability to manage those yourself. So you're going to have a real problem if you actually try and take this on. When we were working with those customers in the beginning, there was a a huge education component, right? It was yeah. digital was so new, the word made sense then. And, yeah. and it was so new, they were like, oh wow, you guys know what this is. But now you see over the you know, the course here's the big buzzword now is digital transformation. And and I remember before moving into doing what I'm doing now, we spent a lot of time on that education component and it got more difficult. Thank you, Apple, once design, the concept of design became so prevalent that everybody kind of thought they knew what it meant, 
and knew what it would impact, you know, their organizations. That's actually a really good point. I hadn't, I hadn't heard it phrased that way, that, <laughs> that, that Apple actually made people feel like they knew design as opposed to before we got the opportunity to like, I mean, it was like a clean slate definition, like the, mar- <laughs> like the Marines teaching someone how to shoot and never shot before. They don't have to break any bad habits, right. you know, and, and yeah, we're going into customers and now they think it's like, but my iPhone, but my iPhone. <laughs> I've seen the Apple commercial. I know what design is. I know what it means. I know what it, and then you get, you know, then there was that transition to experience. So it became all about the holistic experience, right? And you've got organizations that are still struggling with it. And one of the big words that we still see still shows up all the time is digital transformation. So I'm curious, based on your evolution through the digital space and now spending time at KPMG, how are you guys or how are you defining digital transformation for your clients? Well, you have to react to the market, right? You have to, you know, if your job is to service businesses in the business world, then, you know, you have to understand their language and speak their language. And so certainly digital transformation is something out there that we, that we talk about, I think, but ultimately to quote another uh, former coworker of ours, Mike, Mike Wolf, digital has just become synonymous with the word modern. And so when you say digital transformation, you're really just talking about transformation in the year 2017 uh, and the year 2016 and 15 for that matter. But the, but the point is, is that, you know, you're just talking about transformation, you know, transformation, is really wholesale organizational change of technology, people, process. And the part that's kind of often ignored in that, in technology, people, and process, which everybody will say, is, is, is also the physical spaces. Those can be works, you know, the customer spaces people always think of and, and they're thinking about that, but they don't think as much about, you know, the workspaces. That's starting to change now and in warehouses and other things where automation are coming into play and starting to look at augmented reality and other internet of things, sensors, and other things that start to change those physical spaces. But it's not just installing a new system. And although it often gets, that's probably the most frequent implementation of what people refer to as digital transformation is, oh, okay, cool. Well, you know, we we implemented, and because this is public, I won't pick on any particular vendor, but <laughs> we, we implemented, you know, we implemented said vendors uh, system and therefore we've done digital transformation. And so, you know, it's actually really looking at how that, so if you're going to take that as your core, uh, you know, that that's your impetus for the transformation. Then it's also looking at, you know, what kind of, what's happening to your, your people of all types as a result, you know, how's that impacting their jobs? What kind of change do you want to go through? And also where kind of the experience gaps, you know, if you're, if, if you've identified, you know, the, some of the uh, outcomes that you want to achieve uh, from this implementation and, and then, you know, okay, well, what's actually going to really get us there? Are, are there experience gaps? Are there integrations or are some point solutions that would really, you know, really kind of fill in the gaps for us and help us actually get to that complete business case? You know, the, the KPMG does a lot of industry research. You know, one of, one of the things that came out the other day was, you know, 53% of the averages, 53% of the business cases realized for, you know, these large implementations. And so, you know, the, you're, you're expecting kind of to get half of what you said you were going to get that got you all that budget. Um, and so, you know, how, how can you actually close that gap and get, 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 get the other half? And so it's like, look, you know, you made this business case, but our, our research tells us that you're probably going to get about half of it. So where do you get the other half? And do you find it more difficult with 
smaller organ, well, let's say let's say small to medium sized businesses for them to really wrap their heads around the totality of a transformation, or is it more difficult with larger organizations because there's more players? Like that understanding of you, know, you really are talking about organizational change, and there's a digital component to it. So they may not understand organizational change. They probably think they understand digital. Chances are they don't. And so putting that all together and understanding how that affects the totality of the organization and the experiences that they deliver, are you, do you see a stratification of companies that adapt to it easier? You know, it's interesting. It's, it's a bit of a dichotomy because the smaller organizations have a greater ability to actually successfully pull off a transformation. The larger organizations have executives and layers of executives that are kind of high up <laughs> enough and abstracted away enough that they can see the problems and they can see the industry trends. And, and so they have a greater ambition. So I would say the smaller, medium ones, it's, it's hard to get them to really want to, they have the ability, but not the will. And the very large companies have the will, but struggle with the ability. And they struggle with the ability because of all, you know, like you just said, all the players and the fiefdoms and the silos and and the impacts that are inevitably felt. And whereas the the smaller, small to medium, you know, they still have executives that are kind of living closer to the line of business and they're they're following those dollars. And in a large way, they fall into the trap of not valuing employee experience like they value customer experience. And so when they just view all of these Everything that the customer isn't touching is just a cost center. It's just the thing that the uh, necessary evil. <laughs> then, uh, the then employees. It, it, it drives this mindset <laughs> around you know reducing cost and not seeing these things as as their potential to add value, potential to drive the top line. So, does that become another facet for you know the ideal? professional services or consulting candidates. So they not only need to be a specialist in some type of skill, i.e. design, strategy, organizational change, whatever, they not only need to understand how business works, right? So some level of business acumen, but in some ways it sounds like they also need to be a bit of a diplomat to be able to communicate from, you know, top level execs down to those that are in the field trying to implement these changes. Do you find your teams trying to become, you know, play that, that role of, diplomat and, and making things, you know, smooth across the efforts? Yeah, I think, um, I think diplomat is, is probably a good, <laughs> a good way to characterize it. I think, you know, I, I've always referred to it as being able to speak at every level. So if I'm talking to a senior executive, I can, I can speak like a senior executive. And if you're talking to an engineer, you talk like an engineer. If you're talking to a designer, you talk like a designer. And, and the people that have uh, the ability to adapt to their audience and to speak in a way that's consumable to them and understand their ideas and translate those to other groups. You know, that's ultimately, certainly in this industry, that's, that's pretty necessary to, to be successful because, you, you know, you're, it's hard to orchestrate a value message and, and the delivery of that value if, if you can't, you know, do that. So it's an interesting, so then, then there's the added layer as I think through this, right? It is all about revenue generation at the end of the day. I mean, we may be doing cool stuff and impacting people's lives, but at the end of the day, revenue generation is the, is the goal. And with consultants, they, I'm assuming KPMG has a setup where, you know, certain people have to maintain a certain level of billability, expansion of projects. So with that multifaceted skill set, how are you working with those teams to enable them to be able to talk at all of those levels and also stay focused on KPMG's revenue generation? Because they essentially become 
consultative sales professionals at that point as well? I mean, yes and no. I, th- I think in the traditional consulting model, there exists a lot of fungibility of resources, which is a term fungibility of fungibility? resources. That That's I, a technical fun, term? Fun, 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 <laughs> fungibility, fungibility of resources that I learned. Uh, that's the term I learned when I came to KPMG. Um, and so as we, you know, KPMG has adopted a specialist model. It, what you're really kind of getting away from is, is your you're trying to in this sure you know um revenue is important and and you have to you have to deliver those things but you know you're you're trying to create a place where a person can focus on their craft and and really deliver on that craft and and grow on that craft and so really their free time their their downtime is is focused on growing that craft and and maintaining their edge and so in that situation with that kind of specialist you're really just looking for them to be able, it's your responsibility as the more uh, traditional consultant to set up a situation where they're going to be successful. And so, you know, you, you get them in, in the right room at the right time with the right people, with, you know, with the right problem that they can really demonstrate their craft. And, you know, that shows your group's competency and, you know, your customer feels like you're, you're going to be a great partner to work with. And so there's a trick and, and you have to, the organization has to buy in at a high level. So part of that is changing those goals. So, you know, they, they have different structures on their goals. They don't, you know, they don't have the same level of other, you know, metrics and things that, that you get in the more traditional model. And two, the internal organization is also providing funds and, and things. I mean, sometimes it's kind of wooden dollars, but if you, for example, if you feel like a certain technology is coming down the pipe and you want to be well positioned to take advantage of it, when your customers are asking for it, then you can get dollars to have your people reorient their craft around this thing that that we see coming. And so they're not missing their metrics, but they're also not necessarily working on immediately uh, client work. And, you know, so it's, it's these kind of, you know, getting allocations for for these kind of growth initiatives and, and innovation dollars and these kind of things help you meet your metrics and meet your numbers, uh, but also get you know, and help your people meet their numbers, but help you keep your edge. But I think it comes down to, you and I used to, to joke about like a bonsai tree or a bubble. <laughs> the magic bubble. You want to try and set up a, a place where they don't necessarily, people who are passionate about their craft and not passionate about revenue generation uh, can focus on their craft and, and, uh, you know, not that you can completely insulate them from the externalities of the business, but you, you know, you can, uh, allow them to focus on that, feel like they can, they have, uh, they can passionately pursue that. I mean, because the, the advantage for them and, and, and the environment and the kind of professional services environment is they, they very frequently get to start over. They're not, implementing something or building something and living with it for five years. So, you know, they're willing to deal with, you know, you can't protect them perfectly, right? But they're, they're willing to deal with some of these things that they wouldn't, maybe they wouldn't have to deal with at a software product company or, or somewhere else, but they're willing to deal with them because they know that they're, that they're always getting to do the, the new thing and that they're always able to push the envelope and that if they don't like the project, they'll be on a new one and three or six months later or whatever. And so they can kind of keep moving and they always keep out in front of the industry. And so you find the people that value that and you give them an environment where they can, they can focus on their craft and where you can still generate revenue and, and meet your, meet your metrics from a, from a business unit perspective. So it sounds very much like a, 
like a team-based approach to revenue generation. And I'll try not to use the word sales since as we <laughs> joked about the magic bubble, some in the bubble don't yeah. like that word, but it's, it's a team-based approach. So you have your specialists, which are critical to the process. And then is it, is it principles like yourself that are focused on, okay, we need to, you know, we need to increase this account by 10% next year or 5% or we need to acquire a new business. Where's the, who are the people that are carrying the number or the target or the goals, so to speak? The, the group is probably split up like, I don't know exact numbers, but it's more than just the partners that are there in the group. You know, call it 70-30. I'd like to speak, I guess, speaking about this and more in a hypothetical than about my group specifically because sure. I, so I don't want to be incorrect. But just call it, you know, 70-30, 80-20 probably closer to 70-30, you know, in that, in that situation, you know, you have a group that has a more traditional uh, career paths for, for professional services that are, that are more responsible for the account growth and the go-to-market. And it's not that the 70%, they still do a lot of go-to-market activities, but they're not orchestrating the go-to-market activities. They're, you know, they get on a plane, they show up, they talk about what they're great at, you know, and then they can they can move on. Maybe you know they do an estimate. They help with with it, but it's it's all of those in between things: the setting up of the meeting, determining who the real buyer is, and working on coaches and champions, and all these other things you have to do to be effective in that process. That they really don't. That some of the I mean you I mean every, people are spectrums all over the place. You find some people that love all of those things, including their craft, and you find some people that just don't talk to me about that. Right. <laughs> so you know, you, you, I guess. It's it's up to every group to kind of set their boundaries, but you want to try to accommodate as wide of that spectrum as you can, because it just gives you a larger talent pool to recruit from. Excellent. And, it, and when you think about, you know, these big digital transformation initiatives or transformation initiatives and kind of the trends that we're seeing, I think you mentioned a couple like IOT, AI, stuff like that. Are you seeing a need for uh, more specialized skills in the consultants or more holistic understanding of, of a business landscape? You know, are there things that, that you would recommend if somebody was interested in being the ideal professional services consultant that you might recommend to stay ahead of some of these trends? Man, that's a tough one. Yeah, sorry, that wasn't in the pre-interview list. I just came up with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. So for my own personal, like, I, I guess it just depends on, on what kind of space you're in, right? I think there's there's lots of room for your traditional strategy consultants. There's a lot of disruption right now. A lot of people are asking, what business am I in? And strategy consultants kind of by definition try to answer that that question. But, you know, that kind of trickles down into all other parts of people's operations with maybe not as existential a question, but, but it's still kind of fun, but still a fundamental question of, you know, how, are, are we even really thinking about how we do supply chain this way? Are we really, or are we really even thinking about how we do supply chain in the right way or how we address these things? And so I think, you know, across the management consulting spectrum, there's, there's a lot of availability, even for your, your more kind of traditional path of, you know, going to business school and, and getting hired out as a kid to one of these groups and just kind of and learning, um, learning as you move from client to client, project, project. I still think that's a very valid path. I think as you get into the technology space specifically and design and, and some of these other areas, you know, it's really authenticity works and authenticity sells. And so if you haven't really lived it, and you haven't really delivered it, it shows. Um, and even <laughs> even if they don't, even if they can't put their finger on it, it just smells wrong and it's not going to work. And so in those situations, um, it's hard to kind of set out with the goal of being 
a consultant. Um, you know, you more kind of set out with the goal of, of you know, I'm, I'm passionate about writing code or I'm passionate about doing design or I'm passionate about whatever. And you do that thing. And then you kind of realize that, hey, there's this place where I can do this thing where I don't have to spend two years on the same on the same engagement and I can keep <laughs> right. on the same project. I can keep moving and keep learning new stuff. And then you start learning other aspects of that business, et cetera. I think the traditional path is valid. I do think that it's harder as you're in, as you're in tech and other things. And have you noticed, I mean, KPMG, you know, we, we kind of went through this when, when we were at Synergy thinking about the, the merger, so to speak, but KPMG was tax and audit, right? Historically, at least that's what up until that point, what I knew them as. And now you've got an experience design, which is a pretty powerful phrase, uh, and, and engineering as well. What have you seen be the, the pluses and minuses of taking that, that digital agency, that experience design shop, and, and integrating it with, with a, a mothership of that size and, and reach, right? We were all, everybody's that's in the digital space is concerned about that. We, we talked about it a lot back in the day. I'm just kind of curious now that you're on the other side of it, multiple years at KPMG, if, if somebody yeah. else had an agency that was thinking about, oh, wow, I don't want to, I don't want to sell out to the, you know, one of the big four or whatever, what would you warn them about or advise them about now that you know that we didn't know back when the conversation first started? Lots of pluses, certainly a few challenges, I'll say. Um, you know, the, uh, I guess on the, I'll start on the challenge side. That way I can end on the, on the positives. <laughs> yeah. um, Always give the bad news first. <laughs> so, you know, on the, on the challenge side, I mean, you're certainly, and I don't think this is specific to the big four. I think this is just big company. I guess I wouldn't care if you got acquired by IBM or, you know, or whoever, right? Name big professional services firm. Right. Moving from a transition of a smaller one to a large one, you're, you're going to have a, a portion of of people that just don't like being in that big of an environment. And so it can be hard. Like, you know, there's something about being there's there's an intimacy in a, in a, in a really small group where you feel like you, you know, you know, you know, everybody who who's responsible for running the company and and you can ask them, you can corner them and ask them direct questions and, and all these kind of things. And so that, that can be more challenging to do in an organization that's federated over 150 countries and has, you know, a couple hundred thousand employees and all those other kind of things. Right. You know, I do think that there's an advantage in the uh, partnership model and that, you know, these really are the literal owners of, of the organization. It's a pretty small group. So even in a in a, even in a, a small to medium-sized publicly traded company, you're still not going to know all the shareholders. Um, right. Or you know, good good luck, <laughs> uh, good luck getting a conversation with Calpers, who owns you know 10 percent of your stock or something, right? right. Uh, so, and so I think you know, there's there's definitely um, some advantages there to not being public but still being large and to being held by a, a relatively small group of shareholders. And then there's also the challenge of the the mix of branding and how you face the market. You know, I think that if anything, it's it's really a sign of the maturity of our market in in the experience design and engineering space that our that our brands can really work together. And the fact that, you know, real big companies that want to engage with uh, professional services of firms like KPMG, you know, that that they want they want all of this from from one place, whereas I think the the brand alignment would have been more problematic, you know, had it happened a few years earlier. But as the market itself matured and as the customer profile 
um, matured, you know, as you saw, you, you know, would, or your your customers that are, are early adopters of technology or startups and other people, and, you know, then it takes a while for, for very large companies to adopt these kind of things. And so as those happen, they want to engage with different kind of services firms. And I think naturally the branding stuff kind of works. But if you have people that are really caught up in that branding aspect of it, people want to collect brands on their resumes, so to speak, and things like that, and they're not as focused on on the work and the people, then, you know, it can be problematic for them as well. Understood. Understood. On the plus side of things, we've had uh, the ability, I don't know if you... Uh, if you've seen the the YouTube video of of the work we did with uh, the National Basketball Association, yeah, it's pretty impressive. It's pretty cool stuff. And those kind of projects where we're dealing with capabilities that we never would have been able to grow organically, we just wouldn't have had wouldn't have had the money. And and you know, once you kind of get to certain sizes, it's hard to take those kind of risks. And so, being able to be in an organization that can do multiple acquisitions and actually put us together in such a way that we can do things that we couldn't do before as independents has been really cool. And but even even beyond just being an organization that can that can do multiple acquisitions, going into the more traditional lines of business has been really um, interesting for me. Like for example, doing helping doing uh, due diligence work uh, for mergers and acquisitions. It uh, sounds kind of like boring stuff, right? You think, oh, due diligence, and you think account, you think like, uh, you get like that, that family guy picture of the accountants. And the guy right. Um, but the, uh, but the, re- but the reality of that is, is that you're going in and, you know, you're looking at as, you know, all this technology and as experience, customer experience and all these things have become more important. It's become a much more important part of due diligence to really understand, you know, do they have a good customer experience? You know, do they have a talented team? What does their product really look like? What are we really buying? If what you're buying is is effectively a software company, it might not actually be listed as a software company, but if they interact with their customers via software and they interact with their employees via software and it's all connected via software, well, then you need to take a look at that. And so I've I've had I've had a lot of fun personally seeing just opportunities for personal growth to to participate in in those kind of activities and having a valuable opinion and, and being able to do some valuable analysis and and changing uh, whether or not an M and A happens or how much it's worth to various parties has been really kind of cool. And then also you know we've had ability to partner up with our strategy practice and and uh, do strategy consulting and other things that uh, have just been really cool and a lot of fun, you know, asking some of those, you know, working with the the strategy guys who kind of ask those fundamental existential questions to a business and then very quickly being able to show them what potential answers could look like. Like, okay, if you're not really in this business and you and now we're starting to think that you're in this other business, well, here's what customer experience over there could look like for you and doing rapid prototyping and other things to to make it beyond just some bullet points on a slide and, and really something they can touch and interact with. And and the potential pull through for that kind of work is is significant. And we've had some success there as well. So it's been really cool. Excellent. So I wanna I wanna be respectful of time. So kind of we'll do a little rapid round here at the end to make sure we, we get you to your next call. But so as a revenue executive, you've got targets that you gotta hit. Uh, that makes you a prospect for many people that are out there selling. <laughs> <laughs> I, I try to use the word prospect. I'll, I'll be realistic. It makes you a target um, sure. for people that want to sell to you. So if you could tell, if, what are the top three things, uh, if somebody was trying to get your attention or get in front of you, what are the top three things you would tell them to do um, to capture your attention and be able to start a dialogue? 
Hmm. That's, that's tough. That's really tough. I guess when I say that's tough, I mean, it's really tough to capture my attention. <laughs> <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> if, I guess, I guess the, the most honest thing would be, it's really hard for, for you to capture my attention. If you can, and, and so keeping in mind, I'm at, I'm in a pretty specific field working in, you know, in the experience space with designers and engineers. But if you can get the people I work with and, and my team to tell me that they need something, then I'm much more likely to go out and advocate for the funds to to be able to buy it. Right. And so that, you know, if that's a, if that's a, you know, whatever that is, you know, the things that we really spent money on as a group have been, you know, software licenses or other things, but, but they've really kind of come up organically saying like, Hey, you know, this is, this is what we need to really be effective in the delivery of our craft to our customers. Then I have somebody to really advocate for, uh, you know, otherwise, I mean, certainly there are opportunities, you know, if, if you're going to try to, to show me that, you know, you can, whatever, you can Im- improve my, my sales cycle or some of these other things, but even that, it's hard to break through. It's hard to break through all the noise. And so, you know, I think uh, short of that kind of personal recommendation matters a lot. It's it's hard to to just break through with like a cold email or or something like that. But hearing about it, you know, from you know former coworker or something like that, someone like yourself, you know, I think it, it certainly means a lot more. Okay, internal champion or, or somebody that you respect and that, that yeah. Can, can speak a word for it. Great. So if you weren't busy being a, a principal at KPMG, what would you be doing with yourself? Um, <laughs> I have no, I, I, I think I would be in the software product space somewhere, probably in cloud uh, computing. I realize everybody thinks maybe cloud is kind of, kind of done. Um, you know, that buzzword was so five years ago <laughs> and, and AI is, is the, is the new hotness. Um, but I, I, I think that, you know, there's a ton of uh, technology that's, that's coming into cloud-based computing resources that is, is not being taken advantage of yet in the market. I think it will be and there. There's just a lot of interesting change um, that's going on there. And, uh, and, and just a lot of, um, a lot of potential. Excellent. Uh, you know, I personally find it pretty interesting kind of, kind of stuff. And I always liked working on those uh, problems that had to scale to N kind of thing. Right. Cloud certainly is, is a space where you have to get scale. Excellent. Okay. So we, we ask all of our guests uh, about an acceleration insight, right? So based on your experience, if you were asked to give sales consulting and marketing professionals, you know, one piece of advice or one insight that you believe would enable them to be more effective at beating their targets, what would it be and why? Maybe it, maybe it sounds trite, uh, but I would, I would say be authentic, you know, and I, I guess I said it a little bit earlier, but you know, if you're, if you really are engaged in the topics that, you know, that you're advocating for, then, then that really comes through. And I think, you know, that, that makes up for a lot of other, uh, deficiencies. <laughs> um, I've certainly, you know, uh, you know, no one, I don't think anybody would ever accuse me of being a great, um, salesperson. <laughs> But, you know, if, if you can, if you can be authentic and, and be genuinely passionate about, um, you know, the, the thing that you're talking about, then I think that that really comes through. Excellent. Excellent. It's great advice. Great advice. Well, Mark, I want to thank you very much for the time today. This has been great for any of our listeners who are interested in uh, seeing the related blog posts or other interviews that we've done. Again, check out b2brevexec.com. 
Uh, and please do not hesitate to write a review on iTunes and share the magic with uh, coworkers, friends, and family. I'm sure there's something they can get out of it as well. Mark, again, thank you very much for the time. Uh, it's been great to talk to you. And until we talk again, I wish you nothing but the best. Thanks, Chad. It's good to chat. Take care. See you. You've been listening to the B2B Revenue Executive Experience. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show on iTunes or your favorite podcast player. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.